Hey, Tasting Anarchy listeners, it's Jake, the man responsible for editing our episodes. We haven't put an episode out in a couple of weeks, and that's mostly due to my being distracted by lots of different things. I have a lot of excuses, but the the reality of the situation is I, I got a new motorcycle and have been really distracted by riding the motorcycle around and also working on getting my license. Uh, we talk a little bit about that in uh, an f- upcoming episode. But in the meantime, this episode features a review of a really fantastic Texas wine, Mason and I try the same wine. And it also has a very interesting article where Mason and I don't necessarily have a disagreement on how we would apply libertarian legal theory, but we do have a bit of a struggle between us because it brings up the issue of fraud, which is one of the areas where Mason and I do have a a slight difference in opinion. So stay tuned and enjoy the episode. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. All right, Mason, how does it feel to be on the, I don't know, I guess on the air with uh, a wine expert certified? I I am uh, I bow to your knowledge now. <laughs> I, I think it's funny, like when you were talking about getting uh, the certification, which we'll go into shortly. Um, kind of how we started this with like the no pretension show. <laughs> like, yeah, and I'm and I'm slowly becoming more and more pretentious. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like one of the things I think is really interesting about your wine enjoyment mm-hmm. is a lot like Quakerism. Yeah, where. You do most of this for you, and there then you have the societal stuff that you want to do, like owning a winery and like trying to set up like a wine bar, or, you know, distribution for Texas wine, which like improves the Texas wine community, which is like a very Quaker thing to do. Yeah, like I'm going to improve the community, and that's going to be good. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, like and I I have I do have noticed this a lot more about myself lately, in particular is. Uh, how how much value I put in community, even but more so like like I don't really feel like a strong community with like the people in my par- apartment. Everybody's very nice here and stuff, but like trying to get people who are interested in certain things or that have something in common together, mm-hmm. that to me is very valuable. And yeah, hence Childerberg. Yeah, exactly. Hence Childerberg. But the like the wine certification thing, mostly I. Mostly because like I'm, I am very interested in. I wouldn't mind picking up some part time work in the wine industry, just to sort of more more or less like all of it is because I want better content for the show. Mm-hmm. And um, when I go to talk to winemakers and stuff like that, not so much not so much the people I've spoken to because they all are very amicable, but it makes me feel more confident to be like, hey, I have this podcast and I have these certifications. Yeah, and then, and then they're kind of like, okay, yeah, we know what we know who this is, sort of thing. Yeah, I didn't start this podcast three days ago, and then I'm calling, you know, Robert Mugabe or something like that, going like, "Here's yeah. an interview about your bourbon wines." Right, exactly, exactly. Which, so, speaking of which, bourbon chardonnay. Yeah, that's right. That you, did you get one of those? No, I, I didn't at the time. Okay. Um, one, I didn't think I'd hear back from you as quickly as I did, and we were just in the grocery store. Okay. So I'm thinking. Um, that it might be that might be something we do is because there's three of them. There's the Merlot, Chardonnay, and uh, Cab Sob. Okay, it might be worth getting all three because I mean they're only like fourteen bucks. Yeah, um, 
at Kroger. So probably cheaper there, you know, less some taxes and whatnot. Um, and just see what they're like. Cause to me, like, it seems such a weird thing to like foist upon Chardonnay bourbon flavors. Right. Exactly. It, it is interesting. And, and the thing too, with, with the bourbon, with a bourbon oak barrel, you're going to get these bourbon flavors, but you're probably not going to get the flavors you'd get from what uh, oak Chardonnay normally gets. Yeah. So you're not, you're not getting that. That you know, same like style, right? Yeah, you're not getting the like vanilla and like clove mm. and I guess butter or that like the baking spices. Usually, that comes from oak, and mm-hmm. um, you're just not you're not going to get that from bourbon. You're just going to get bourbon, yeah. and and knowing what like a quote unquote clean Chardonnay tastes like versus like an oak Chardonnay, which neither one of them I'm super crazy about, but um, or unoaked or oaked, I guess not clean, but uh, well. Yeah, I mean, I think that a, I think like the traditional style without oak on a Chardonnay is a little bit more refreshing. It's still not my favorite, mm-hmm. uh, and the oaked ones, depending on what they do with them, it's kind of like, yeah, I, I get what you're doing here. Neither one of them is really for me. Yeah, so I, I really like butter. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like, you know, I, I really enjoy butter. So. Well, I like, I like the, I like that buttery flavor when it's like new oak on Cab Franc or something like that because I think that. The butter kind of goes really well with like a savoriness and the tannins, but mm-hmm. um, for well, a Chardonnay, to me, it's just I don't know. It's just not usually they're crisp and citrusy. Although you know, in California, when it's warmer, you're going to get more, I guess, tropical fruits and stuff. But uh, well, but I mean, like, like, but like, can you imagine? Well, you're allergic to pineapple, but can you imagine like I'm allergic um, to pineapple? Oh, it's I guess kiwi. That's what, oh, kiwi. That's right. Yeah. Um, can you imagine like taking a pineapple and like putting butter on it? Having grilled pineapple, yeah, and you know, buttering stuff to grill, like usually you use an oil, but you could use butter. Mm-hmm. I could see doing that, but like I couldn't see like buttering a pineapple and putting it in a sandwich, like, yeah, without having grilled it. So well, and it's gonna, it is definitely gonna be more. I think more like the grilled, like a grilled, like a very very ripe pineapple or a grilled pineapple or something like that. I and mean, that's what you're gonna get. And that's kind of one of those things that we went through in this class was helping to identify the flavors that you're going to pick out depending on where it's from. Mm-hmm. And there's things that you and I already knew, like warmer weather tends to be fruitier, but there's also old world versus new world mm-hmm. has partially to do with the heat of where of, of it grown, but also just the, the terroir expresses differently in, in much of the old world than it does here. You can yeah. still get some of that here, but for the most part in new world wines, you're getting a lot more upfront fruit flavor rather than uh mineraliness upfront. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at like where the, the big wine production is in the, um, you know, Argentina aside, but like Chile, mm-hmm. you know, Oregon, uh, Washington State, California, especially like Napa, mm-hmm. that's a lot of like really heavily coastal stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so you are getting a lot of coastal influence, but it's still hot. Yeah. No, 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 it's still hot. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is like, in, you know, if you think about interior Spain, interior right. France, um, you know, they're not the same as interior Washington or Oregon. Like right, that's still, true. Yeah, you're still getting that level now. Like in California, it's a little different. Like you know, when you get over the Cascades. Um, you know, that sort of like positioning. But speaking of terrible transitions, like, you know, what are we, Tom and Bob? <laughs> right. What, so as I said, they had, you know, Cab Sob, Merlot, 
in Chardonnay is the bourbon. Yeah. Well, like for me, like uh, Carmenar or Carmenier or Carmenier, yeah, whatever, whatever, Tempranillo, whatever. like yeah. those are the type of wines that I would expect somebody to do bourbon barrel aging on. I could see it on Cab Sauv. Um, yeah, Cab Sauv because it, but like Cab Sauv to me like has that muted aggressiveness. Yeah. Like that they tried to, you know, kind of like, cause they're, you know, like Cab Franc, Cab Franc to me, yeah. like a lot of the ones I really like are very aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, like one of the things I don't like about a lot of liquors is they are aggressive. So having a bourbon barrel backing to those to me seems like you would want to like put it with an aggressive wine because it's a different style of aggressive. Right. So yeah. maybe like a two up front punch. Yeah, I, I guess, I, and I can kind of see that. And I mean, that's one of the things is that like a lot of the bourbon, you know, you and I used to be really into beer. A lot mm-hmm. of the, the bourbon barrel aged stouts and porters and that sort of stuff were very popular for a while. And just to me, they were never, they were always too bourbony. Yeah. Like, I, like I, 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 yeah, like a little bit of bourbon, I could see that being like interesting, but it, it was always like, if I wanted bourbon flavor, why wouldn't I just drink a bourbon? Yeah. And that's what like always kind of weirded me out about it. It's like, why aren't you doing that? Now, speaking of aging stuff in you know, barrels and whatnot, um, I told you about this off show and I may have mentioned it briefly on show, but, uh, O'Connor's, you know, the big mm-hmm. local brewery out here that's mm-hmm. like completely indigenous. Yeah. Um, they they have an Akursk or Akirk, um, coffee stout. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I think you did tell me about this. Yeah. They do a version of it that they age on red wine barrels. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I don't think it's particularly like enhancing to the beer. Right. But it's also one of my absolute favorite beers that they do. Mm. Like it's a, like the standard one by itself is very, very good. And you know, I'm like, I'm not a coffee snob the way like I, you could say I'm a wine snob. Yeah. Like I know a lot of varietals of wine. I generally have an idea of what you're going to see in most varietals, especially if you're like, oh, it's this, you know, you give me a reference point, like I got to, you know, I can pick it up kind of quickly on most wines, but like coffee, like I drink espresso, I have my machine dialed into one setting, (laughs) like I don't vary it ever, like I buy industrially produced coffee beans, so I don't have to dial it in, you know, every new pound of beans or something like Mm -hmm. that, so, but I really like coffee. So to me, it's like, oh, this is perfect as it is. And then it's like, oh, we're going to put red wine barrels in it. It's like, well, what red wine? Is this yeah, Cap, yeah. Cap Sob or Low? Yeah, is like what? Pinot yeah, exactly. Noir? Is like, it a blend? Is it, yeah. you know? Is it is it like a really weak, non-aggressive blend? Is it a rosé? And it's not actually red wine, but you're just calling it red wine because it right. was rosé. Well, red wine, yeah, rosé is usually not oaked, so it probably is well, a rosé. Yeah. I mean, it can it can be, but it's it's not usually. Correct. But like, that's the thing is like, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, that would be my question is like, you know, because if they were going like, well, we took this coffee stout and we aged it <laughs> on, you know, these uh, Cab Franc barrels yeah. or something like that or Carmenere where it's like a more aggressive. Yeah, I could see it on general. Carmenere because then you might get, especially if it was like Chilean Carmenere, you might get mm-hmm. some of that like black, like the black pepper yeah. into it. And, and that might be and, interesting. That would be awesome, especially on a like a coffee stout. Yeah, as like, well, or maybe, or maybe like French Syrah. Uh, yeah, then you'd get like you'd get like because that's like one of the pr- prominent flavors of of French Syrah, and actually, I think even Australian Syrah has a lot of this too. I, I don't know for sure, but is that that kind of not even overwhelming, but very very pronounced black pepper flavor. 
Hmm. Which is, you, which you'd probably like that. Yeah. I was going to say, I might have to drink a lot more uh, French Syrah because, you know, as I was going to say, like you and I both really enjoy pepper. You more, yeah. more in the white pepper range and me. Right. Like I absolutely love black pepper. Like, yeah. It's to me one of the best flavors of anything. So like having a black pepper in a coffee, um, I could see that not going well. Right. <laughs> like, well, you could try it though and just see. Well, now uh, I kind of want to like, Grind some black co- pe- black pepper well, into my speaking, coffee. Tomorrow. Speaking of coffee, uh, mm. we are going to be having a coffee seller on Tasting Anarchy in the near future. Mm. Uh, from Anarcho Coffee, Anarcho oh, Coffee. Yeah, so he'll come on. Um, if your schedule works out, then you'll be on as well. But if not, Sweet. it'll just be me interviewing him. Yeah. And which is, it'll be a sad interview if it's me because I drink instant coffee pretty much exclusively <laughs> so but that see to me that's a market that people like anocular coffee yeah and stuff aren't taking advantage of and it i mean it's an, an interesting market the, the yeah. thing is like american instant coffee is pretty bad but yeah when you get into europe or well yeah just europe really is you get these really high quality instant coffees that to me are not any different than like regular fresh ground coffee Mm-hmm. And it's easier, faster, and tastes better with cream. And yeah. I, I put a lot of cream in my coffee. Well, I think if you, the next time you're here, mm-hmm. like I would challenge you to drink a black espresso that I make. And yeah. not necessarily for the flavor, but the oils mm-hmm. and other things that you can see in the crema, which is the, the, like the head of the coffee. Yeah. It does, it's way different. Okay, and, well, and I, I'll definitely the, try it. Yeah, that's one of those things about coffee is like, there's a, I think like Bourdain or somebody like that's in like uh, South Africa. Mm-hmm. And he goes to this guy who's like one of the premier coffee makers in the world. And he does all these crazy things and like is always testing stuff. And he's, but he's kind of like, you enjoy whatever coffee you enjoy, but I want you to enjoy coffee. And then he's like, I've got 16 coffees for you to try. <laughs> and it's yeah. like the guy, and, and he's not insulted, but it's almost like he's expecting them to drink the entire cup. And it's oh, okay. like full on coffee. <laughs> so that's funny. But yeah, that's the thing is like, I don't think Americans don't make a good instant coffee. I think the problem is the mass market instant coffee isn't yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Nescafe and, and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But which like actually, Nescafe, I guess, I guess that's not even American. So, no, it's not. And like, it's just what's thing, available. Like, a lot of those Euro- a lot of those European producers are actually just like Nescafe. Yeah. Like, well, this so. one that the one that I get is, and we'll kind of move on from this topic, but um, I get the Davidov. It's uh, Swiss, mm-hmm. or uh, yeah, Swiss. It, it's um, and it's a common one that they drink in um, Ukraine. They also mm-hmm. have one in Ukraine that's called like uh, Nikolai, and its its symbol is um, Tsar Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And uh, they it's and that one's pretty good too. And then there's another one called uh, Jacobs that mm-hmm. I got it just because it's my name. And that one's okay, <laughs> that one's okay, but it, there is actually a couple of different versions of the Nescafe you can get here. You can get a decent Nescafe instant coffee here, but it's more expensive and it only comes in the small bottles. Yeah, if you get those big bottles of it, it's it tastes like burnt coffee. Is it so? When you're saying the big bottles, is it like pre liquid? No, no, no. It's like a big, it's like a oh, big okay. bottle of the pellets. No, no, I, I, I little, see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, like maybe it's because of all the wine bottles. 
uh, oh, yeah. bottles only and contain liquid. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, actually, and I do like I do like cold brew a lot. So there mm-hmm. is actually several cold brews here that I think are very good. Yeah. Um, well, and, I, and it may be just I think the the bitterness in coffee. Actually, mm-hmm. this will kind of help us circle back around to that certification. Yeah. So one of the things that we did in the certification was we well first yeah Jacob what is the name of the certification uh, W E W S S E T so it's uh, wine. West. Yeah, it's it's I gotta remember what it's pronounced or how it's uh, W set program. What does it stand for? I think it's like a wine wine spirit wine and spirit education trust. So you can get these various levels of certification in wine and liquors mm-hmm. from this organization. It's similar to like a sommelier program, but is not focused as much on service. Mm-hmm. It's more focused on wine knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, whereas, like, if you were to go through the sommelier programs, um, or the, I think it's called the Masters of Master Psalms or something. I don't know what it's. I don't know what the sommelier program is called. You're gonna you're gonna get a lot of stuff on like this is how you pour it. This is how you um, present it to people. This is how you open the bottle in a particular way and all that sort of stuff. And oh, that's, I need the bottle opening course. <laughs> yeah, I, me too. There is actually in in W set there is a little bit of bottle opening stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do go through a little bit of service, a little bit of storage, but it's mostly uh, things like New World versus Old World, common uh, appellations in Europe, common appellations in the United States, um, common appellations in other parts of the world, uh, how to select wines, how to know if a wine is good or bad based on the taste and, and appearance. Like, And a lot of, like one of the things that she was saying is that you can, by doing certain things with the appearance and the aroma, you can kind of tell if it's if it's good or bad because once in a while you will get a bad bottle of wine. Like it wasn't stored properly or it was shipped improperly. Um, or even things like if it's a very it's old wine. bad production. Yeah, bad production. If it's a very well, I mean, old like, wine. Like, I guess bad production, like, I mean, it happens with beer where like same recipe, everything's mm-hmm. the same, but like that one keg doesn't seal correct. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Something's wrong with it. Yeah. So they go through a lot of that. And what was kind of cool about it was – they they gave me advice on what I needed to study because I went for level one and so I, I'm I'm they they went and looked I don't get actually my certificate or anything until a month from now but mm-hmm. they they went ahead and reviewed the test for me and they were like yeah you missed like three questions so um, and they said based on how your participation was in class you need to work on food pairing because that's a big part of it uh, you need to work on white wines and sparkling wines. Mm-hmm. And and uh, dessert wines, fortified wines, and they said your but your regional knowledge is very good, and you have and your regional knowledge for white wine was good enough, um, but your regional knowledge for sparklings was pretty uh, pretty terrible, and which is you know is is very reflective of my taste. Mm-hmm. Um, and they but so she said, go ahead, and we'll study up on those, sign up, just skip level two, go straight to level three, and. You can do level four, but level four requires a lot of liquor knowledge because it's a combined for level four. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, if you don't really want to do that, that's fine. And, it, and you know, d- because also I'm just an enthusiast, I'm not really interested in – I'm kind of interested in working in the industry, but for other reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she was like, if you're not going to be a server or you're not going to be doing these different things, like you don't really need level four. Level three is high enough. Mm-hmm. And um, – so, but one of the things that we did, which I thought was very valuable and something I would recommend to our listeners and to you, Mason, because although this was a little bit of an expensive class, it's a it's a six hour course mm-hmm. um, on on a weekend. 
and it's fun to do. It's about 300 bucks, um, which is a little bit pricey, but not too bad. And, and also wine is provided and food is provided. So, huh. which is, you know, so it's a fun thing to do on, on a weekend if you have a little bit of extra money to spend. And they, but one of the things they go through when they do the tasting is they, the spread that they have for the like snacky foods is all stuff that is going to be flavors relating to taste in wine. Mm-hmm. And so they, so one of the things that they had was they had food, but they also gave us all bitter strips to be able to figure out what bitter is exactly and how to identify it correctly. Because sometimes people will assign the wrong flavor to certain things, particularly when it comes to wine, because there's a lot of different flavors interacting with each other. And so what was funny is I almost vomited from this bitter strip. Like it oh was, it was so bitter, but, <laughs> but one of the things before we put it in our mouths, she said, I'm really interested to see everybody's reaction to this because not everybody tastes bitter the same way. Mm-hmm. And about 50% of the class didn't taste the strip at all. Holy moly. Yeah. And, but for me and a couple of others, it was awful. And for a couple of other people, they're like, yeah, it's bitter, but it's not too terrible. And she's like, well, the people who really taste it, they're going to have a very particular taste in wine, and they're going to be able to identify bitter parts of wine very easily, and it's probably going to turn them off of those wines. But then they showed us how to pair wines with those flavors to make the bitter not so bad. And uh, there's a whole whole range of things. Like one of the things they had us do was they were like, well, salmon is very umami flavor. Uh-huh. So they were like, so taste this white wine. And you taste it, and it's you know it was a Sauvignon Blanc, which is a very acidic wine. Um, this was a French Sauvignon Blanc, so it's more acidic, and uh, and also doesn't have a lot of the fruit flavors that uh, Sauvignon Blanc from um, like America and New Zealand and stuff like that has. So mm-hmm. uh, we tried that, and it was you know palatable. It was fine. I like Sauvignon Blanc. That's one of the few whites that, that I think are pretty good, and. Um, and then we then they were like eat the salmon or eat a piece of the salmon. Then you eat the salmon, and the salmon just tastes awful mm-hmm. with it. Like it's it's super fishy tasting. You don't get a lot of these other things in it. And then they said take take another sip of the wine, and the wine completely changes. Now the wine is like all you taste in the wine is this like very sourness to it. It's got like all these other like off flavors. The fish is super enhanced. The fishiness is super enhanced in your mouth because you still have that residue. And they're like, this is because acidity in wine cuts fat. Uh-huh. And so when the fat is cut, all of these other flavors in the fish come out. But there's a way to counter that. And she says, so add lemon juice and add salt to the salmon and take another bite. And now take a sip of the wine. And the wine, again, totally changes. Now it's more fruity. Now it's got all these like lemongrass flavors, a little bit of like barnyard uh, aromas and, and text, tastes and stuff like that. She says, so this is why pairing wine with food is an important skill to know is because you can have these really delicious foods and these really delicious wines and if you put the wrong ones together, it's awful. And here my, my thing is always giving somebody like a highly acidic wine general pairing because I'm always about like stripping the raw flavor off of like the stripping the fat flavor to get back to the you know the first bite experience yeah well and you know the fat the fat does have like with red wines fat is fat and protein play really well into it and that is um so if you have like a pinot noir one of the reasons why it goes so well with cheese and with fatty dried meats is because the uh, pinot noirs are a a much more acidic red wine Mm -hmm. and so you are you are stripping that down and 
even for the more tannic acidic red wines, when you get these fats in there and you take a sip of it, it it mellows out the tannins and it kind of cancels out the acidity a little bit and you get like a much stronger flavor of these other other things going on. So like like for you who is not not really the biggest fan of Pinot Noir, you don't mm-hmm. like cheese. Cheese cheese is one of the best things to have with it, but you don't like cheese, so you could have like salami with it. Mm-hmm. And and that you eat the salami, then you drink a little bit of Pinot Noir, and maybe that'll take away some of those flavors that are overpowering to your palate that make it so that it doesn't really taste like much to you. So mm-hmm. because the different things will cancel each other out, kind of, and then you take a sip of that, and now you can, t- you know, if it's if it's Oregon, you could taste mushroom and leather and. Uh, some of these red fruits that are are less pronounced to you, but to me are you know are there, um, and one of the reasons I like Pinot Noir, and so like a Pinot Noir with a really fatty cheese to me is delicious, but for you cheese is not not the way to go. The way to go is some sort of fatty meat that you would mm-hmm. like, like a drier fatty meat or something like that. So I don't know. It was it was very interesting to have that experience. The other one that they did was you know you know how much I hate dessert wine. Yes, and. They said, okay, so sometimes this is counterintuitive, but sweetness with sweetness sometimes is better. And so they gave us a super, super, super sweet dessert. And they said, this is because now if you take the sweet dessert, and the dessert was fine. I, I liked it. It was like a mango pudding kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you take the sweetness. Now your, your taste buds are prepared for a very high level of sweetness. Now take the dessert wine. And once you have the sweetness with the dessert wine, the, the dessert wine is not overpoweringly sweet and nauseating anymore. Now it tastes sort of like honey and has these other fruits in it. These, you know, t- taste sort of like white flowers and, and like all these other things. So it was like, oh, okay. So now I can appreciate this dessert wine because I know that the issue is I pretty much only drink wine by itself. I don't really, I don't really eat when I drink. Like mm-hmm. it, and because I'm much more of a stage eater, and I think we talked about that actually in the last episode. Yeah, uh, and so by being a stage eater, I don't get to appreciate the combinations of a lot of these foods and and the wine. So yeah, and it, very and interesting. It's funny. It's funny because like most of the stuff that people pair with wine, like the like specific pairings, you know, like the cheese plates and and those other things. Mm-hmm. And I don't eat a lot of fruit. Like mm-hmm. I enjoy most fruits, but I generally don't eat fruit because I don't see like the caloric value to it. Right. Um, and to me, the flavors aren't super strong anyway. So that's a very interesting kind of like positioning that both of us are kind of not anti-food with wine, but generally not as much. Because, yeah. like, you know, I stop eating at like 7 p.m. my time um, and then like we do the show at like 8 p.m. my time so like I don't eat anything while we're you know like I don't mute my mic and eat something or anything like that yeah and in fact the wine's breaking my fast <laughs> as it is so right now well let's go all to get, of that oh I was gonna say all yeah. of that fun we are drinking a wine tonight that you gifted me from one of the wineries that we toured mm-hmm. or not toured but attended yeah. while I was driving the wine van for Childerberg. Yes. So. Yep. So it is the uh, Torna Lox Tempranillo 2014. This mm-hmm. particular vintage is no longer available. Um, I, th- these actually, these bottles were among the last ones uh, available. So you and I have the last in my stock was the one that I gave you, and the last, uh, and this is the last one that I'm drinking right now. Uh, 13.9% alcohol by volume. Mm-hmm. Tex- it's um, now. The the winery itself is in Hill Country in Texas, yes. very close to Lake Buchanan, 
if you guys have a chance to go out there, I recommend it. I know that um, you and some of the attendees were not super pleased with the service. I, I didn't happen to notice, but I also am much more tolerant of mediocre service than well, uh, most so, people. And it, and here's the thing that the difference was I wasn't drinking. Mm-hmm. So uh, if I had been drinking and we hadn't been in a you, – you know me. Like if, if I plan an event and anything goes off on the event – like I feel like I'm putting someone out. Okay, right. And and so to me, like we were trying to go to three wineries. We advertised that we were going to go to three wineries. Not yeah, that yeah. Anybody who was in the wine van really minded the fact that we weren't able to make the other winery. Yeah. But like Torna Locks, like their the service wasn't great, and that frustrated me because like the only thing I could compare was the service because I wasn't right. drinking. They didn't have any food that wasn't heavily cheesed. So like I'm just sitting there kind of going like okay yeah like, yeah I'm enjoying people's conversation but you know when you kind of get to that point where everybody else has had a few drinks or is talking about the wine and you're kind of going like I like orange yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> well and, and I think that's yeah I think that is very difficult um, but they also had two dogs that was really yeah cool. those were cool dogs yeah yes. one of them had like one of those neck things on it too like both of, of those, I thought like, both of them did technically. oh did they okay yeah I think they both had like electronic collars yeah and it was interesting because like the you know the winery drive in like you're not supposed to get out of the car because they do have animals on the property yeah um and the view in the like for for seeing the different side of Texas and I mean the wineries aren't that far apart mm-hmm. like it is a completely different looking place and mm-hmm. it was very, very beautiful location. And that was kind of the thing. The other part of it was like we sat inside, which made complete sense for what we were doing, but like, had it been you, you, Victoria and I, we probably would have sat out on the patio. Oh yeah, for sure. And then if service was slow there, it's kind of like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause we'll it was, it was, out. it was very pretty. And yeah, I noticed a lot of our group wanted to sit inside. It was hot, but I got, we actually, we went to a, a, a really good Middle Eastern restaurant the other day and it was hot, but we sat out on the patio cause Victoria won hookah. And I actually like it when it's like that. Like it, I, I don't mind sweating. It's not, it's not bad to me. Um, yeah, I know it's very uncomfortable for other people, but it's fine to me. I don't mind sweating. I just don't like it because like at a certain point I know my deodorant runs out. Oh, got it. Yeah. And then it's just like, okay, now I don't smell good and yeah. I'm not noticing it. But if everyone else is going like, oh man, he stinks. <laughs> well, <You know. laughs> let, let's talk about something that smells good. Yeah. And that is this, this Texas High Plains Tempranillo um, from Torno Locks. Like I said, vintage 2014. It's 13.9% alcohol by volume. Texas High Plains source grapes. They do have a vineyard on site, but this, the vineyard, I believe, was planted in 2014, so it's not producing a lot. So the only way to get um, estate-grown vineyard wines is to join their wine club. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that may be worth it. For me, because of how much I want to drink from various places, it's not always a good idea for me to get uh, a wine club from one place. Now, if you, somebody wants to sponsor Torna Locks Wine Club for Jacob... Oh, I would totally take that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would definitely be buying a lot of that. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give my notes on this, Mason. Mm-hmm. I know this is one thing that I'm trying to get better at because it's something I used to do. So the look, to me, uh, nice red plum color. It's a, I guess this is what they call medium garnet. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I I try not to use those fancy terms because I don't know what a garnet is. I, I kind of have an idea. I looked up the rock. It's the January birthstone. Yeah, I lo- that's okay. Oh, is it okay? So I looked it up just to see, and I was like, yeah, I guess that's pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, 
One thing that I also learned about, and this is not necessarily a good or a bad thing, but was to check for residue from the wine bottle because it could either indicate that you opened it wrong. It could indicate um, age. It could also indicate faults in the wine. So no residue mm-hmm. in the wine. Mm-hmm. Um, it we looks, knew about the faults part. We did know about that, yeah. Now, yeah. granted, I a lot of times when I get, um, is it Grenache or Grenache, or is it the same thing? Well, I think there's there's two, and I'm not sure which okay. one you're thinking of. Okay. Well, sometimes I, I have been drinking a lot of those lately, mm-hmm. and it seems like every single bottle has some sort of like residue in it. I think a lot of the foreign ones yeah. are going to. They're all Spanish. Yeah. They're all yeah, Spanish. I don't know if that's a shipping process issue, or and it's mainly reds that I noticed this. Yeah. But that's because they're also fermented with the stuff you know right. in there. So yeah. I think it's probably like a function of transferring from the like the cask or wherever it's being aged in. Yeah. There's probably some agitation that gets to the bottle. Right. Now this is something else I learned from this class is that you can kind of tell if it if it has a garnet or a red color, it's probably a relatively young wine. The older it gets, the more brown it's going to get. So you are going to end up having more of a brick color, like kind of a brown brick, bricky mm-hmm. looking color if it's older. So this is a relatively young wine. Even though it's 2014 for a red, that's fairly young. Well, for a Tempranillo, I don't know if that's necessarily super young. Well, I don't know. I'm they're not sure they're the yeah. Knows. Uh they're high they're relatively high acidity and relatively high tannins, so they do age well. Uh and this one um it hasn't been aging for a long time, but that's fine. It's very drinkable. So, um no no staining on the glass, which means that uh it is got a slightly lighter skinned grape, but one of the things I know about Tempranillo, it's going to be um it, it is a very dark grape, so it could also indicate thinner skins. I know these are things that I learned that I think are interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to really get too much into those in the show because they're things that I, for the audience that I think you and I are trying to cultivate, I don't want to get like too cerebral about it. So yeah, um, the legs form quickly, which you and I have talked about several times, which are those kind of like lines of wine uh, running down, which means it's either low sugar or high alcohol. As you sip the, the wine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I actually, I said in my notes, there we go. Um, so the smell, I get blackberry and, and like a very light vanilla. What do you get from it, Mason? Alcohol. Alcohol? Really? Yeah, so okay. I don't know if my bottle is off. Um, when Ashley, so this afternoon, I opened it, I opened the bottle at uh, 1.30 or so. Mm-hmm. I poured in like the smallest amount of wine I normally drink as a glass. Right. So like, you know, you, you, we used to do the show out of glasses that I owned. Yeah. Um, so I used to, you know, we would do very full glasses cause we would drink an entire bottle, um, split between the two of us. Um, so the first one, the first glass I had both my wife and I thought it tasted a bit and smelled a bit like Concord grape juice. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I was a little disappointed because I knew this was a, a wine you were a very big fan of. And yeah. I, this is not Tempranillo to me at the time. Okay. Then about dinner time, so about 5.30, I poured an even larger glass mm-hmm. and let it sit for not very long and I hadn't let the other one sit very long and I didn't do a lot to aerate it uh, while it was in the glass, but it had significantly improved. Okay. The glass I have here, which is the third glass, 
was near the top of my glass range now when I'm not going like, I'm going to get drunk. Right. Um, and I have had it out for about an hour. So mm-hmm. I may have had it open too long at this point. Plus, you know, my sense of smell isn't always the greatest. Yeah. Um, now, the second glass, my wife had a sip of it during uh, dinner, and she said it was, you know, it dried out her mouth a lot. Hmm. She said that about the first glass, but for me personally, the first glass didn't. Okay. But that may have just been the time of the day. Okay. So, you know, this is one of those ones where I know how much you like Texas Tempranillo. Yeah. I'm not saying that this vintage is not a good representation, but the bottle seems a little weak in that representation to me. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. I don't, I haven't had as many, like I, you know, I drink a a really cheap Tempranillo. Mm -hmm. So this might be one of those, this is just a better one and it's kind of more like Pinot Noir where there's a lot going on and I'm not getting it. Okay. Well, let's. The other one I, the one I usually like is very aggressive, but you know me, I like aggressive wine. That's true. Yeah. It's El Pensador is the one you normally get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, well, let me go then into the taste and mouthfeel that that I get from this and we'll see if any of it lines up with you. So I get, I get very ripe black fruit. I get smooth tannins, so it doesn't really dry my mouth out that much. Um, it's drying my mouth out more now, Okay, but I also haven't had anything else to drink. I usually have some water to sip on, mm-hmm. um, but I hadn't sipped on any water in over an hour and a half at this point, mm-hmm. um, so that will usually dry my mouth a little bit, but yeah, very smooth. Mm-hmm. This is very smooth. Like That's yeah. very nice about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say medium to heavy mouthfeel, so on the heavier side, but not not super, super full-bodied. Um, Would you almost say silky, kind of on the back? Yeah, 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 maybe, yeah, yeah like a little bit. It, it's in a little bit lighter than you know, like a real heavy Cab Sauv or something like that. But it is, it is heavier than like a white wine, for example, or a Pinot Noir. It's, but it's not viscous, in right? The same way, yeah, like exactly. You can get those, you can get a, like a Gewurztraminer. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it doesn't coat the tongue with that sugar. Yeah, because obviously, I mean, it's a red, so there isn't a lot of sugar in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say for the next one, it's hot. Uh, so it does, it does, the alcohol is very present. Um, um, and I, f- I feel that anyways. My wife said that on the f- the first one and a little bit on the second glass. Mm-hmm. Because I drink, like, you know, last, so last night I had 120 minutes. So, yeah. you know, like 19%. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. I, I don't think it's that hot on the alcohol. Okay. Um, I was a little disappointed because, again, I was expecting this to be much more aggressive being Texas and heat, you know, thinking yeah, yeah. like this is going to be a really aggressive Tempranillo. Um, I am pleasantly surprised it's not in its own way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking like, oh, this wasn't really, you know, blah, blah, blah. And But I am kind of tired. Okay. We did, we did a bunch of stuff today. So, but I'm kind of feeling it. So I'm not sure if the it's actually is hot. Right. And I'm just not cognizant enough so okay. i'm looking forward to tomorrow uh finishing the bottle okay so then i, I left yeah. enough for tomorrow oh that's good so then i said nice acidity and long finish but it's not very acidic but it is it's a nice level of acidity i think yeah so i get um generic red fruit mm-hmm. trending toward plum um i could see like a blackberry more okay. being, being being that way but again 
you have a very strong blackberry flavor from Vashon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that I'm I'm very jealous of. And <laughs> your taste memory is a lot stronger than mine for those things. And again, you know, as I said earlier, I don't eat a huge amount of fruit. Not that you necessarily do, mm-hmm. but like a lot of the fruit I have is in yogurt, and you know, I dr- eat the. Icelandic yogurt that has very low sugar and it's usually oh, pretty yeah. acidic. The skier, um, is it skier yeah, or scree? Skier. Skier, or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I always call it sky R, but okay. um, just because I like to put an I in there when there's a <laughs> um, But, you know, so that's where, like, this is one of those ones where it's not that I don't think it's a good bottle of wine, mm-hmm. but I think what you, when you say it's young, one of the things I think is young about it is I think the production is young. Okay. So, I you know I don't know how long they've been producing this as a winery. Not long. This is yeah. this is probably one of their first vintages. Maybe their second vintage. Yeah. So I think the a lot of the youngness comes from the actual production. Okay. And I think there's like probably some sulfate kind of you know I don't know if they sulfated it. Um, they probably did. It, I mean that's pretty common in wine because it doesn't really keep otherwise. But I wouldn't say they over. They put too much sulfate in oh, it no, because no, no. I, yeah. I was thinking they didn't put enough. Oh, okay. Um, to try to because one of the things is like you know you kind of fake it till you make it. Yeah. To me, this is a very like, and I'm not saying that Tornerlox doesn't have somebody who's of this quality. Yeah. But this seems like somebody who went. No, I know exactly what I want to make, mm-hmm. and this is probably exactly what they were trying to do. But to me, it's too young, and okay. that that might be. Um, just where, cause I'm kind of possibly getting out of my red kick and okay. getting back more towards some whites. And, you know, like I, one of the things I've been taking from a lot of the reds is like the upfront and the aggression in a lot of the reds that I like. So like, you know, no or uh, Grigio where it's like heavily acidic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm probably going to be swinging back into a lot of those where it's kind of fighting you to, right, right get past is like sours like sure. once you get past the sourness and sour beer to me it's amazing right and i think you're with me with that where it's like yeah we really like that but like my wife can't ever get past it she's just like okay. no this, this isn't good and she likes yeah. sour stuff so well, i'm i'm considering next week doing um a vignette so but mm-hmm. we'll maybe we'll get back we'll we'll kind of circle back on that let me do the conclusion do you have a so that we, uh i don't have a mc I don't have a McPherson, but I do you? I still have the one you sent me. Oh, really? I could go get. I could go get that actually. I and was thinking because I'm trying to decide because I was thinking about aging that one. Yeah. Until well, Vini, came, yeah. Well, no, until you yeah. came out. Well, okay. Well, we could do that. Like, I mean, whites don't really aren't really designed to age unless. Well, they're no, old. I mean, like, I'm not talking like a year. Like, if you're not yeah. going to come out in a year. No, I, like, I will. I'll probably be out. I'll probably be out in a, not too long. So that yeah, might that, that might that, be a good one for us to do. Yeah, that was kind of my thought was like maybe we could get a Virginia. Yeah. And then I'd have a Texas here already. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. Okay. And but you know, we, I also have another Tornalox and then um you know, if we can depending on what's going on with Bird and getting him that one. Uh we'll figure it out, but Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's on the way yeah. to him. He should get it Wednesday. Good. Yeah. Um okay. Well, let me go and do my cl- conclusion on this and then we'll mm-hmm. move into the articles cuz we're already like 40 minutes in. So, yeah. Uh, so my conclusion on this, which is very different than your conclusion, which is one of the cool things about wine is that it is super subjective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I kind of like it when you and I have a different opinion on wine. Yes. Because 
it's just it's interesting to see how very different our tastes are in in wine. So this is what I said for it. I said um, I think uh, Texas does Tempranillo very well, and I think this is a very good representation. Uh, this is not overwhelming and very accessible as far as flavor goes. Uh, I think it is really it, it really goes well with uh, Texas style barbecue or like a steak or something like that. Uh, but would probably um, go well with any sort of fatty protein because it yeah. does have the acidity. Yeah, so um, I think it's very accessible. Mm-hmm. I think to me, one of the things that I this isn't a, this is something I notice about you. Yeah, you were never super into being in from Virginia, right? But you're super into being from California, and now you're super into, in my opinion, and not necessarily through th- you know th- overt things you said, but being yeah. a Texan. Well, I, and so, I, I don't really consider myself a Texan, but I do like Texas a lot. I, well, I, still, I still think of myself as a Californian. Yeah, but that's my my kind of thought is like in two years, I think you'll be like, no, I'm a Texan. Um, maybe, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> because because how how you've fallen into the Texas wine yeah. scene. But we'll see. Um, we'll see because we're both – Victoria and I are talking about like depending on how our business plans go, we may not even live in the United States in, in a couple of years. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's where, to me, like, um, there's a, this is one of those ones where I think, like, it's kind of you putting that Texas foot forward, personally, yeah. but. Well, and that and that's very true, because, you know, one of the things that, um, about wine in general is any, not wine in general, any sort of beverage or food, well, food probably to a lesser extent, but any sort of beverage that is, it's a story really does make it different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with, with Torna Locks, the flavors that I get out of this do remind me a lot of Vashon and, and particularly that blackberry flavor is it's got that, I, I have a very, very strong sense memory. And so when I taste certain flavors in things that remind me of somewhere that I love, I like that wine a lot more. And then there's the story aspect to it as well, which is I do like Texas. I like the Torna Locks story. Um, the people who started it are very interesting. They they chose a beautiful location, but a difficult location to plant in. Mm-hmm. Uh, very very rocky. Very uh, not a lot of water up there, and um, it is it's not an easy place to grow. So like that story is also very good. And then just the general story of Texas wine. To me, there is good stuff growing here. Um, now, would I put Torna Locks Tempranillo at the very very top? I wouldn't. I, I have had much better Tempranillos, and you can go back and listen to some of our, our back episodes for the ones that I've reviewed. Mm-hmm. But it is one of my favorites at the price point, and it's very accessible, I think. And and it's a good introduction, I think, to people who um, maybe haven't had Tempranillo or who enjoy Tempranillo and like the New World fruitier Tempranillos like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one thing I would warn, though, about pairing it with barbecue is I know a lot of people – consider and i and i'm this way too is that barbecue is got a lot of like uh sugary sauce on it or a lot of vinegary sauce on it mm-hmm. i don't think this would go great with either one of those but the kind of the drier barbecue like bre- brisket without the sauce and that sort of stuff mm-hmm. i think this would go much better with that yeah um and then uh i guess the conclusion Oh, I, also I wrote down here because um, so one of the other things that they, they tell you is what grows together goes together, right? So if you have a a, a, a grape varietal that is um, from Spain, which is Tempranillo, um, known for Rioja, known for Toro, um, those types of areas, um, 
you're one of the cuisines that they have there that that goes very well, particularly if you're like a vegetarian. Uh, I guess this wouldn't be great for vegan, but would be buttered vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, so buttered and roasted vegetables. So if you roast and butter vegetables, this would go very well with that. It would also go with fattier Mexican food that is less spicy. So that's my conclusion. Yeah, I think spicy food though, because like to me, I think spicy non-fatty foods. See, I mean, the thing is, and and this may be good for you, but if you have a spicy food and a acidic wine, you're going to have a a very high intensity in the spiciness. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and if you like that, that's great. Like, but that's yeah. going. That's what. That's what uh, acidity is going to do. Is mm-hmm. it's going to increase the spiciness. But you know what? Then again, if it's a spicy and very salty food, that also might be very good as well. So, yeah. really, you know, to each his own. I, I don't think a spicy food would go great with this, but for Mason, who has a very different palate than I do, this would be this would probably go great with something spicy, Mason, that you normally make. Maybe yeah. maybe like uh, Indian food or something. Probably. Uh, I think okay. Indian food would be good. I like Indian food pretty much all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> and especially that vindaloo that I make that's like ungodly spicy. Yeah. Uh, okay, I got I got two articles for us this week, Mason. Okay. One is just kind of like a fun article. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is just, it's a history, like a history find. It's really quick. You want to do that one first? Yeah. Okay. So the title of this is ancient Celts in Burgundy drank Greek wine study suggests it's by Chris Mercer, who we have read many articles from Chris Mercer. He writes for decanter. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is one of my favorite journalists who writes for decanter because he is very factual. There's no, there's no like twisting of the facts or anything like that. He's just, is like, literally reporting what people said. <laughs> like, it's like, so-and-so said this, so-and-so said that. So, anyways, I'll summarize the article real quick. Mason, you may want to comment it, or you may not. It's it's really a very short article. I just thought it was interesting, so I thought we'd include it today. Um, so, new, new study testing fragments from Celtic settlement uh, in what is now Burgundy suggests Celts were drinking wine 1,000 years earlier than previously thought. The pottery discovered at the site shows signs of having contained wine. So this is, I guess, a, a staining that is in the in in the uh, wine vessels. Um, and then they said, uh, there is no evidence that locals were producing wine from either vineyards or from wild grapes. So they don't believe that they were producing their own wine. It is believed that since they were importing pottery from Greece, that it is likely that wine was in the pottery from Greece um, or they were also importing wine in different pottery from Greece. Um, so many of the pots also showed shine, signs of beeswax. So it appears that the Celts were either reusing the um, either reusing the pots to make uh, mead, or they were mixing honey with the wine to make it sweeter. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just an interesting. You know, they could have either been doing one of those one of those two things. Uh, many of the pots also. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That was the, I already read that part. Um, so they either enjoyed honey, or they were drinking, or they were making mead. There's also a lot of evidence of beer making on the site. So it seems that they were not only drinking wine; they were not importing just wine. They also made beer locally, and and possibly made mead locally, and were importing wine from Greece. And they know that they were importing stuff from uh, Greeks or Greek settlements. Also, it could have been you know Sicily or these other places where the Greeks had settled and were growing wine. Um, but uh, they know that they were importing stuff from the Greeks because there is a lot of Greek pottery there, which is um, painted and has the, you know the different Greek 
stories and stuff like that mm-hmm. on the pottery. So just an interesting article. You got any comment on that? Yeah. So like they're saying that the uh, they were importing the um, pots and things like that. So this is one of those ones where it's not that I question the science, mm-hmm. but it's like, oh, we knew they were doing this, importing pottery from Greece. And yeah. now we think they were bringing wine in. It's like, so how do you know they weren't just reusing the wine pots? Previously? Well, that that's actually, that's interesting. That's one of the, the thoughts I had as well was what makes them think that the Greeks weren't just selling them used pots. Yeah. Uh, or, and like they bought the pot because like they could use the, you know, they, they drank the wine and then use the pot. But like that to me is like if there's evidence of them using Greek pottery beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, it would seem like if they were heavily importing Greek wine, there would also be, mm-hmm. like, evidence of that. So, you know, it's just one of those, like, are they making the right assumptions? How right. You know, it wasn't, a, like, a one-time import or, you know, some weird thing. Yeah, and but, I, I'd be curious to see if they go back, because they were also saying with the mead that the, the beeswax was in 50% of all the pottery they've found so far. Mm-hmm. So like that is in an, an indication that they were either eating a lot of honey or drinking a lot of mead or making a lot of mead. Um, and now mead is a very easy drink to make. It, it mm-hmm. to make good mead, it's a little more difficult. But really, you're just you know you're fermenting honey and putting maybe spices and stuff like that in it as well. Um, and but and same thing with beer. Beer is not terribly difficult. Wine is also not terribly difficult but a lot can go wrong and you only have really one chance a year to make it so yeah. it's a, it's kind of a different process so it, it's interesting i i would be curious for them to continue looking they they cited certain um items that they didn't find which is what they why they believe they were not making their own wine mm-hmm. uh so there was i guess there's some sort of like tool that that they found in in many civilizations that were using wild grapes to make wine um so uh, and, you know, but who knows exactly. I mean, this is the thing with archaeology in general is that they do get things wrong and it takes them a very long time to correct it. I thought this was very interesting because um, I'm Celtic by heritage. And one thing that people forget is that most of Western Europe was Celtic until kind of the Romans showed up and then the barbarian invasions and, and the Celts are kind of pushed out into the Brit- the British Isles. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still, there's still Celtic people in Basque country, for example, in Brittany in uh you know uh, parts of uh, the Netherlands and stuff like that so it, it is a it's a slightly different culture i mean at the in this day and age it's it's been homogenized quite a bit but i mean the basque are still a very different people um mm-hmm. and although they think that they may be pre-celtic they may be even older than that but they don't they don't know for sure but that's one of the cool things about genetic testing like i know i i just saw another article on decanter that they were talking about um how they they've been doing now a lot of genetic studies with wine grapes and mm. i guess they were able to determine based on uh, dna recovered from grapes that were like left over in some archaeological site from 900 years ago that uh i want to i want to say it was Syrah, but i don't know which one for sure that it was that they thought it was a relatively new grape but it's actually been cultivated for 900 years <laughs> and least. yeah and they were like so they were like whoops <laughs> i guess we were wrong about that and uh Okay, well, let's go ahead and get into our more tasting anarchy centric article. That's yes. um, this is much more government related. The article is from Wine Enthusiast, which is I don't know if I told you, Mason. I, I subscribe to Wine Enthusiast now, um, so there is a 
print edition and a digital edition. I have the print edition, uh, which mm-hmm. does give me limited access to the digital edition as well. But I pulled this off of theirs, and this is actually free. So it's uh, called Bordeaux Court Convicts Wine Merchant of Fraud. It's by Suzanne, uh, I would say, Mustache or Mustache. 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 Yeah, I'm not sure how to say that. But uh, M U S T A C H I C H. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and summarize the article. So a uh, court in Bordeaux convicts wine negotiant uh, Vincent Lastaste. Lastaste. I'm not sure how to say that either. L A S. It does look like last taste. L A S T A S T E. Yeah. Um, they've convicted him of fraud. Uh, Concerning more than 10,000 cases of wine, um, I'm just going to call him Vincent. Vincent ran the Negotion Sequa, so S-E-Q-U-O-I-A. So the sentence was six months in prison, 30,000 euro fine, and the company Sequa was uh, fined 150,000 euros. um, Yeah, it was fined 150,000 euros. So the judge said this was a "quote unquote" serious misuse of appellation. Mm-hmm. Um, the tri- uh, the trial was over the cellars owned by Sequa in Cadillac, which is a uh, region of Bordeaux. Uh, the case ca- uh, the case state stated um, when high levels of or oh I'm sorry the case started when high levels of sulfur were detected in wines destined for China. Um, once the, they detected those levels, they started an audit to see what was going on with their wines because it, they said it was unusual. So what they found was wines were fraudulently labeled with appellations like Gravaz and Cote de Borg or Cote de Bois. I'm not sure how to say that one either. I think uh, Cote de Bois is the right yeah. one. Okay. Um, the wine was cut with water uh, and also blends contained uh, wine from multiple regions. So just to kind of remind everybody, a negotiant is not somebody who um, makes wine or grows grapes. They they purchase wine from um, winemakers or they pur- purchase juice and they will blend that into new wines and then they will sell that. This is a, this is a common practice in France, but they, there are negotiants here in Texas even mm-hmm. um, that will purchase wine from different places that have not been bottled yet and they will blend it and make a basically a concoction that is um what they're looking for so it's kind of like you know somebody buying paint after the fact and trying to paint a a picture so which you know so i'm not saying it's good or bad it's just it's a different a different thing going on Mm -hmm. um so i'm gonna call him vincent because i don't want to try to read his name again but vincent has been named in other fraud claims and receipt and he received in that other fraud claim a suspended 18 months uh, Vincent ha- now lives in the United States. Uh, he wrote to Wine Spectator and he says that um, he is um, not avoiding the French uh, justice system, but mm-hmm. he is trying to get a fresh start in the United States because his name has been tarnished by the French justice system. He says he, he wrote a letter to them and he said that um, – if you talk to his staff, he never asked them to do any of these things. He the the mislabeling was probably just a mistake, and the water that they found, he said, was uh, due to uh, recently cleaned filters because it was not a very high level water, but it was a little bit, and uh, and that 
the other stuff was just uh, you know paper errors, basically people mislabeling things, things getting switched around, and uh, just accidents. Mm-hmm. So very very harsh sentence, and uh, but this is a very important thing, and I think a really interesting issue that you and I can talk about, Mason, because it is it is kind of a libertarian issue, but it's sort of a weird area. Um, because the appellation system in France as well as the United States is is a government system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a I would say it's a, I wouldn't say it's quasi government because it is ultimately enforced by the government, but it is tra- a traditional system in Europe. So now, just because it's traditional doesn't mean that it's it's not government based. It, it I think it a lot of this was originally established as from charters from various kings and things like that. Um. So I'm kind of of two minds of this. On the on the one hand, he, you know, he's been convicted, so we're going to assume that he's guilty. Um, he did commit fraud, but on the other hand, it's fraud against a system that is enforced by a, a an illegitimate power. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's very interesting to me. Now I think I would be pretty irritated if I bought a wine that wasn't very good that I thought was from, you know, Cote de Bourg or Cote de Bois, I think it is. Um, those are those can be very expensive wines. So if I bought one from this negotiation and it was and it was not what I thought I was getting, I would be pretty pissed. Yeah. But on the other hand, what is Cote de Bois? You know? Like it, it it's sort of like now it's more established in Europe, but it's sort of like when if there was like fraud between Texas High Plains and Texas Hill Country, yeah, there is a difference. The terroir is very different, all that sort of stuff, but it's not established. It's uh so like, you know, ultimately like what's the difference but you know what do you think so this is one of those things where fraud is one of those things where like I have a hard time accepting the concept a lot of the times Mm -hmm. because like okay you're saying that I fraudulently filled out your paperwork well Mm -hmm. what proof did they have that there was a, you know, like in uh, Fukushima. Yeah. There is evidence that's real evidence that no one's disputing that they systematically said, we did this to protect people and then didn't actually do it. Right. Like, or where they were told, hey, we're saying these are safe, but they weren't because they didn't move the generators to higher ground and they knew that that area could have been hit by tsunami. Right. You know, so there's a certain level of, like, fraud there that it's evident. Like, and this is, you know, it's a court case, and who knows what, you know, we can't read French, so... Right. Like, the... A- Ashley and I were talking about this uh, last night, about the Title IX rollbacks, because mm-hmm. basically it was becoming a system of he said, she said, um, basically ruin somebody's life and hold them in, like, a kangaroo court. Yeah. Like... We don't know what he's saying. Like, you talk to my staff. I didn't tell them to do this. Right. So, well, that's And that's in, in the article. Um, he wrote a letter specifically to Wine Spectator about this. Mm-hmm. And in his letter, he says, if you look at the transcripts, you can see that my my, cat, my staff and also the um, – uh, it's it's I, I can't pronounce this word either, but it's um, – hold on. Let me look. Let me yeah. look through it real quick. How do you say? How do you say? It? It's it's. I'll put it in the chat real quick, or in the in the on the document. It's it's an enologist. Enologist. 
I don't think I've ever seen that word. I would say enologist. Yeah. So E N O L O G I S T. Let's look up. Let's look up what that means. I probably should have looked it up beforehand. So yeah, an enologist so, is the science and study of wine. Okay. Yeah. So uh, so like, apparently that his head enologist testified in court. He was like, no, he never told us to do any of these things. They're mistakes. Yeah. Um, so so we'll see. Thing, you know. A mistake doesn't necessarily alleviate you from responsibility. Right, right. It was a mistake that I dropped a 4,000 ton weight off the Empire State Building. Right. That doesn't relieve me from the people I killed when it smashed into the ground or the property damage I did. Yeah. It was a mistake. So, you know, if you if you make a mistake and you figure it out, like, if he, if he had come out and said, no, 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 we traced it back, these six bottles of wine... You know, these 1,600 cases made it to, you know, China. Right. We've issued refunds, and we are instructing the Chinese to recall it as best we can. Right. Like, okay, like, you know, there's the, like, the idea of, like, you know, in an anarchist system, your reputation is the only thing that you have. Mm -hmm. So, to me, like, did he commit fraud? Maybe. Maybe they intentionally tried to do this. Right. But, like, you know... Like, the high levels of sulfur, okay, that could be dangerous. That could also ruin the product. And, you know, depending on the long arm of the French law, um, it may break, you know, the Chinese may not have any recourse to, like, get back at him to, you know, sue him or anything like that. Because, you know, how France is about, so protective about weird stuff. Like, right. You know, workers and stuff. So, you know, they may not have any recourse in the French courts and, like, you know, the Chinese courts, who knows? So, like, there may be no recourse to those sellers, but, like, oh, there was uh, content from different appellations in the bottles. Who cares? Right. Like, you know, oh, it was mislabeling, it was misfilling, we're trying something different, there's a label on it. Well, like, how much of that was, like, how much of that was placed in a docket for actual sale? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, like, and that's that's a good question because you know it's discovered in route to China, so yeah. it, it may be that none of this was actually sold. It's just a violation of some sort of statute. Oh, but it, it was in route to China. Okay, that, yeah. there's a little bit of a difference there. Right, right. Like I, I wasn't exactly sure how much the ten thousand, you know, like where they stood. Right. Like, it seems oh, like it, it seems like it wasn't. Well, possibly it. The previous vintages could have been the same problem because I think they actually looked at. It doesn't really say exactly, but. It could have been possibly previous vintage as well. Now, according to Vincent, um, this is this. Well, actually, not according to Vincent. The article says the judge that judged him is the same judge as the, that was judging in that previous case, and that does seem a little fishy to me. Is that that judge already handed down a pretty harsh sentence for somebody who is adjacent to another p- potential fraud? Um, he sentenced him to eighteen months in prison, but it was. It was suspended. Uh, And now, according to Vincent, though, he says, I was not judged. This is a quote. I was not judged impartially. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'll read read the whole sentence here. So so Vincent moved to U.S. five years ago, quote, unquote, or quote, not to flee, but to rebuild, end quote, he claims, and was not present in court last week. That's when this this was held, this was um, finally judged. Um, still, he felt his prior brush with the judge, this particular judge, that's my editorial, this particular judge, and uh, prosecutors influenced the case. Quote, I was not judged impartially, end quote, he told Wine Spectator. 
his defense lawyer, Eric Grosselle, called the conviction and sentence, quote, excessively astonishing and quite incomprehensible, end quote, and indicated that his client would appeal. So it, it is very high. To me, this seems very high. But then again, I don't I don't really know precedence. But six months in jail seems insane to me. Well, so let's think of it this way. I'm a, a libertarian judge or an anarchist judge. You're brought before the docket for me for drunk driving 13 times. Mm-hmm. You come before me the 14th time. There, like to me, like the idea of impartiality is just a is is fraudulent, and that's what I think. With um, you know, kind of like in um, Lys- Lysander Spinner's Constitution of No Treason or Constitution of No Authority. Yeah, yeah. Like impartiality is not a thing. Right. No one's impartial. Everybody's bringing something to the table, and if I have like you came to me before, I put you on an eighteen month suspended sentence for other fraud claims. Mm -hmm. you're brought back say the evidence is overwhelming now i'm not impartial like you committed fraud before and clearly my 18 month suspended sentence wasn't enough so now i'm giving you a six month actual sentence yeah well i'm still gonna have a problem with it because i don't think i don't think that I just don't think a prison sentence is a good thing. Like I, I no, 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 the, the, the no, 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 fine, no. the fines are fine. The fines, like no, no, no. So they do seem to be high, but I don't know. Restitution, yeah, is what I'm actually for. Right. What I'm saying is in like the context of this of a judging. Right. Okay. Because like you know this this offense, I normally charge ten thousand dollars worth of restitution. Right. This is the seventeenth time I've seen you commit this offense. Hmm. I'm charging you $2.2 million. Right. So there's a certain point where there's, you know, punitive damage, where it's like you're trying to punish the person by finding them. And then there's like making up for lost income. Right. And so, you know, that's that's another conversation for Libertarian Justice Podcast that I just made up. (laughs) Um, Like, is there an idea of punitive damages in a libertarian like system it's like okay i'm trying to make you whole but like there's also like the idea of can justice be can like punishment be used to actually deter further crime okay all right like and especially from a like if you if you you know like one of the things is like oh he's a hanging judge it's kind of like the one that they're trying to bring assange against Right. Like they, because they're pretty sure that guy's just going to railroad him. Right. So, like, you know, a lot of the libertarians should be focusing their efforts on getting this guy disbarred and um, impeached because he's committed several offenses. Like, from my understanding, is, you know, he's not, it's not like he's just taking the law that may be unconstitutional and applying it. I think he's like going above and beyond his authority and doing all this sort of crazy other stuff as a judge. Yeah. So like there's a case to like get him actually disbarred so that way that even when they finally could get Assange to trial, it's like, no, you're not getting your judge. Right. What was it? So, you remember that episode of King of the Hill when like somebody tried to steal Hank's truck and, and they went before like that crazy judge who hands down the crazy sentences? And he's like, if you like stealing trucks so much, I sentence you to spend six months in a truck. 
Yeah. Or something like that. Like those kind of like weird, like weird, <laughs> weird yeah, yeah. Where sentences. Like, There's like, like that, these sentences, mean. like, can they actually do that authority? Right. And that's kind of the question because, you know, it's, to me, it's incomprehensible that the court can, like, and this is one of those, what it's confusing is like, did the Chinese complain? Where the yeah. Chinese, you know, like, I understand, like, if you and I have a contract and I represent, Jacob company mm-hmm. and I'm out there running around buck naked, you know, at St. Patrick's day. And it's not Jacob company is the party planning service. And it's like, look how much fun we're having. Right. Right. You know, like I could damage their reputation and then therefore lose my ability to represent Jacob company. Right. But it's not like the Appalachian is just saying, no, you're not allowed to sell our wine anymore. And right. no one in our Appalachian is going to sell to you. And if they do, we're going to dis bar them from the Appalachian. They can still produce wine, but right. they can't say it's from Appalachian awesome town. Yeah, and this does this like, does seem like just reading the article, it seems like this is much more of go- like kind of like government protectionism of the Appalachian. When yeah. the Appalachian all of them have trade associations, I feel like they could kind of fix this on their own without law enforcement in general. I I mean, you you and I are already of this opinion is that like, they don't need the government to come in like enforce appellations. Um, but you could trademark Bordeaux. You could set up. Well, and actually, you and I've had a disagreement on this too, because I have, I have a different opinion of trademark than you do, I think. And, um, (laughs) but I think that they could, they could rightfully in a, in a anarchist society trademark the name Bordeaux or some sort of symbol of Bordeaux or something like that. And, come up with some sort of trade alliance or something like that between the the vintners and winemakers in that area negotiations and figure out how to basically sell certification of it being a you know official bordeaux wine or whatever without like a judge coming down and being like you messed up so now we're throwing you in a cage for 6 months and now when maybe french cages are nicer than american mm. cages i don't know but uh all i do know is that I everything I know about French prisons I learned from that movie Papillon, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's where they want to send him, and it's very scary to me. <laughs> well, if you if you remember, and you may not, the last use of the guillotine was in the 1970s. That's right, yep. at a French penal colony. Yeah, and I think Christopher Lee or like somebody famous witnessed it. Really? Okay, yeah. that's interesting. I think it was like Christopher Lee. Um, but I, I don't remember for sure. But yeah, so like to me, like it's incomprehensible that you would jail someone over this. But it's also like the, you know, like recently it came out that the uh, de Blasio is, oh yeah, we're going to enforce the permanent limitations on the number of Uber drivers and Lyft drivers and that sort of thing in yeah. New York City. And it's oh, like, okay, right. so the medallion system that the city used to be able to sell medallions for like millions of dollars or some other exorbitant amount of money they don't have anymore because you know just basically you drove drove for lyft like yeah you know it took a little bit but it wasn't it was not a million dollars for a medallion but here's the government who created a monopoly that's based on tradition that used to be based on guilds which may or may not have had a more nefarious background. Sure. Now we're enforcing it through the long arm of law. So, you know, you know, you and I are in complete agreement in this where it's just, it's the government enforcing the government's monopoly 
right. on the government designation. Now, like from an idea like the trade association railroading somebody, blah, 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 it, you know, there, there are ways you can extrapolate that, like from a communist, you know, weirdo leftist progressive, like, oh, the state, blah, 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 like the, you know, putting their thumbprint down on people like through big business and stuff. But like, to me, it's the same thing because it's the government's basically enforcing its monopoly right to enforce a monopoly that they license to someone else you know like we gave you the right to be the monopoly and now somebody's told us this guy's misbehaved so we've got to mess him up right yeah that that seems like what it is to me and i think that's probably a a good place to end when you you and i should get into some of these other things at some point because i bet you there are some in the wine world trademark disputes and then we can kind of go through our own opinions on those but yeah I think that's it for tonight because I had several listeners complain that we ran way too long last time. <laughs> ah, they didn't have yeah. to listen to the whole no, thing. That's true. They didn't, but well, they didn't complain exactly. They were just like, how do you guys record for that long? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know. We, we just got to talking. We we're good friends. Uh, we're, we're, I was going to say, we're best friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Easy. yeah. So tastinganarchy.com, Tasting Anarchy on Twitter, where if you want to see Jacob's uh, exploits yep. uh, tasting anarchy childerberg for the hopefully annual event in texas where we will be enjoying liberty the next one is going to be wrapping on the lnc yep. uh, libertarian national convention's door so we will hopefully be able to see many people that we wanted to see this year but weren't able to some of which um in our hearts and minds, if what we understand is going on is going on, uh, those like Mark Claire who just couldn't do it because Forkfest was apparently so much more important that he attend. Um, <laughs> we'll hopefully get to meet him in person. Yeah, um, I, I'm sure there's going to be many, many big podcasters there. Um, hopefully, we'll have enough noise going on in the background at the time that uh, some of them will just wander out on their own. Um, here's looking at you, people like Jason Stapleton and Bob Murphy. Um, yeah. You know, we'll we'll drive out to see Tom. Now, I, I'm sure we would drive out to see either of those three. Um, it'd be great to meet either any of them. Yeah, um, absolutely. Tasting Anarchy at Gmail dot com. Now, I believe Jacob is there. Eight koozies left at this point for rating and reviewing and sending us some screenshots at Tasting Anarchy at Gmail dot com. I think that's accurate. So I think there's there's yeah. there's I could probably squeeze some more than eight. So if you guys want to. Um, if you think you might not make it, there's there's plenty of room left. I, I've got the ones that I set aside for this. I, I do have some more, but they're but some of them are spoken to. So let's go ahead and say that we've got uh, what ten left? Because I think I said twenty on my mini I, episode. I thought okay, I thought on the I hadn't had a chance to listen to the mini, so I thought you yeah. said ten on the other one. But okay. I think I think I said yeah. ten, and then I said on the mini, I, I think I said twenty, and then I was okay. like, I've got enough left that I can do more than that, but. Uh, I don't want to keep giving them out all year long and it also costs me money to ship them. So let's yes. go ahead and say we've got 10 left. And so if you if you rate and review it on whatever podcatcher you listen to it, go ahead and take a screenshot of it, email it to us at tasting, or tastinganarchy at gmail.com and I will get it out in the mail to you as soon as I can. And this is a Childerberg 1 limited That's right. edition koozie. That's right. Once they're gone, they're gone. I'm not making yeah. new ones of these. There will be Childerberg Dose koozies, but they're going to be completely different. And they're going to cost you money. No. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's it. So from me, stay free. Stay free. Drinking Afghans and calling for more. Drinking wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! 
drink at me. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Port and sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den, he wasn't selling for the American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for the Yodi, drink wine. Wine for the Yodi, drink wine.